Hey guys, I thought I was going to be able to get through the rest of the week uh, without any issues, but this computer still giving me fits. I know you're probably thinking, well, you're recording, so what's the problem? The problem is that I can't access any of my music to do any of the intros or behind the scenes. And then uh, some other issues that I'm having, I can actually record something like this if it doesn't require any special effects and put it up. Or I can just put something that's already been pre-recorded up and uh, that's what we're going to do today. I have an interview with Annie Weebs. This was actually supposed to come out a couple of months ago. And the last minute she said, look, hey, I, I don't feel comfortable talking about it. It's a very emotional subject. And uh, she reached out and said, hey, I I'm ready to talk about it. And I was going to use this on the main episode this weekend. But since I need something to put up today... I'm going to put this up, but I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. Uh, keep your Kleenexes out because you're going to need it. Hey guys, I am excited to have longtime friend of the show, Annie Weebs on. Annie is, of course, one of the hosts of uh, Serial Spirits podcast who will be with us with her uh, significant other. Uh, I don't know, Brendan, uh, Shay. He, oh, he goes, everybody calls him one name or the other, but uh, Brenda Shea is her uh, significant other and partner on Serial Spirits and, of course, a uh, uh, partner in the uh, uh, paranormal investigating field as well. So they both have some pretty cool-ass stories. And like I said, they will be with us at the old hospital on College Hill on August 20th. So rapidly approaching. Annie, thanks for coming on. Um, go it's ahead. No, it's always a pleasure. You know, I love coming out to talk to you, whether it's a online or in person, you and Tracy are our favorites. We're so looking forward to Williamson and the old hospital on College Hill um, to see you guys and to take people there. It's going to be a blast. Yeah, I, I can't wait. Uh, like I said, you guys have been there. You've investigated. So we'll touch on that a little bit. But you were on with us not too long ago. And initially, when we set up that, that uh, conversation, it's because you had a really touching story that's hits really close to home with you and at the last minute you decided it, it wasn't the time to talk about it you wouldn't as comfortable talking about it so we switched gears and i think we talked about the old college uh or the old hospital on college hill that night instead and talked about your investigation and some mothman uh occurrences that you've had because you are from that neck of the woods but you reached out and said, hey, I think I'm ready to talk about this. And I know this is a big step for you. So kind of tell everybody some a little bit of background and uh, and talk about why. Why it's important for you to bring this situation up. So I'm, I'm literally just turning this over to you and let you go. I know you're kind of shy and <laughs> you don't like to be on the microphone. <laughs> I am. It's this. A, that's a dangerous thing to say to me. Just to <laughs> <laughs> your credit but, card down next. But I know that I know that you. Um, I know you've got a lot to say, and I know you're. It's it's going to be better to just let you roll with it. So I'm turning it over to you, my dear. All right. So you know, and a lot of listeners know, I've been a paranormal investigator for almost 15 years. And the question that I get asked the most is, what are the experiences? that have been the most profound for you? And my answer to that has always been when people have come to me and shared their stories of loss, 
of their loved ones and the paranormal experiences that they have had surrounding those lost loved ones. And I know that I feel that because I've had experiences like that of my own. Um, it's one of the reasons I've done paranormal investigating. I've had experiences surrounding the loss of all four of my grandparents, of one of my cousins, and most recently, the unexpected loss of one of my best friends. And the paranormal experiences that happened with his loss, both before and after his transition. And those are the experiences that clap back. And that remind you why you started doing paranormal investigating to begin with. They remind you of the importance of learning how to communicate with spirit appropriately. And they remind you of the human element of paranormal investigating and deep down what this really means to people. And Josh's messages to me, both before and after he passed, were a huge reminder of that and sparked something in me that, that I really haven't felt in a very long time. Josh and I met in college and to use the most cliche saying ever, he really did light up a room. Like he could walk in and you knew he was in the place immediately. And he had the biggest smile and the loudest laugh and the corniest joke. And if you were having a really crappy day, Josh was the person that if you had an encounter with him, he was going to say something that made you feel better and turn it back around. Josh's superpower was his kindness in life and his love for everybody. And that's why everybody loved him back in the way that they did. And so it was no surprise a few years after we graduated college, I was out on a girl's night with my lifelong best friend, Meg, and we ran into Josh and they met and they instantly clicked. And a few years later, they are married with two beautiful daughters and he's helping to raise uh, Meg's older son. And life was just pretty good. They moved back to our home place across the street from my parents and uh, everything was pretty normal. Josh had a very deep interest in the paranormal world. He always wanted to know about our investigations. He was very smart. He was a history major in college. He was very well read and he loved the historical and the spiritual aspect of paranormal investigating. And so it wasn't uncommon for us to have conversations about it. So last fall, we were at my parents' house. Uh, we'd gone out. It was a beautiful weekend. We were having a bonfire outside and Josh let his dog out for the night. He saw us out there and came over and sat down with us. And we had the most profound conversation that we had ever had. The sky was so clear that night. You could see every star. You could see everything for miles and we talked about alternate dimensions and life after this. What happens when we transition? Do we go to a quote unquote heaven? Uh, is heaven just another time frame? Is time linear or is it something that is just ongoing constantly? We had a lot of very similar thoughts about life after this one. And we talked about a lot of those that night. 
And he told me that he had been having some of his own paranormal experiences. And he had said something about it in the past, some, some various experiences, but these to him were different. And he was telling me that uh, he was being woken up in the middle of the night by a woman saying his name, almost whispering his name in his ear. And he thought it was Meg. And when he would wake up and kind of look for her, she was sound asleep. And so he was telling me that he had had several of those experiences lately and wanted to know what I thought about it. And I said, well, it just kind of sounds like maybe you are entering a time frame in your life or a frame of mind where something significant in that realm is going to happen for you. Maybe it's this gateway into something. And I had no idea at that time what the significance of that would be. And so that night when, uh, when it came time for me to go inside and put our daughter to bed, Shay stayed out there with them. And I got up and walked away and I said, I love you, Betty. I'll see you later. We often ran into each other at work and he said the same. And I had no idea in that moment that it would be the last real conversation that I ever had with him. So flash forward a couple of months, it's the week of Thanksgiving and everybody in their house tests COVID positive and everybody's getting better except Josh. And so he goes to the hospital after about a week of being sick and uh, they admitted him and he just had one health crisis after another from that point on Uh, blood clots and a cardiac problem. And after about a week of being in the hospital and just really losing all of his strength. The doctor came in that day and, and suggested that they put him on the ventilator. And he was so weak at that point that all he could do was literally just give him a thumbs up. He couldn't even talk. And, and, and that was it. From that point on, his condition continued to deteriorate and after a couple of weeks of being on the ventilator and even being transferred to another larger hospital, this is how much people loved him. He was in a very small local hospital that really didn't have the capacity to treat for critically ill patients. A guy that he went to school with was a surgeon at another hospital and found out through Facebook how sick he was. And nobody was accepting any transfers because all the hospitals were just totally full at that point. And this doctor who was Josh's friend called the doctor who was treating him at the hospital and said, life flight him here. I'll take him. And so that was just a testament to how much people cared for him and wanted to see him get better. But by the time they got him there, um, it was really too late. And after a couple of weeks on the ventilator, the pulmonologist called Meg. uh, It was December 21st. It was Rory's birthday and said, we've done all that we can do. And we need to start making some decisions about what happens in the near future. So she called me, of course, hysterical that night. And she says, I don't think I can make these decisions. How am I going to look at our girls and say that? Um, that I made this decision for him. And my only consolation was to say, we don't have to do it alone. I'll be there in the morning. 
you get Josh's parents, you go do what you have to do. And I will sit with your girls tomorrow and do whatever has to be done. And so after a long conversation and me trying to keep my composure for her, we finally got off the phone and I just lost it. I knew that this was going to be the last night that he was physically in this dimension with us. And I cried and I, you know, I think I kind of begged God and the universe and whoever was listening to not do this. Um, if there was any way that it was not supposed to happen, that, that something changed the course of what would happen in the next 24 hours. And after I cried myself sick, I, I just stopped and Shay was already in the bed with our daughter. And I stood in my kitchen and this sense of calm, I guess, came over me. It was, it was a, a peace almost. And I started talking to Josh directly. And I said, buddy, if you're already gone to whatever that place is that we talked about, let me know. Because if I feel like you're not going to suffer in this moment, and if you are already where we think we're going to go after this, give me some sign so that I can help Meg and your girls through this. And I stood there for a few minutes and just talked. And the house was perfectly silent. And I was just exhausted. And I went to bed and told Shay what the plan was for the next day. And we had both just laid down and closed our eyes when we heard this loud, what sounded like a piece of furniture being dragged through the house. And then this crash. And we both shot straight up in bed and looked at each other and thought, oh, our damn cats are into something, right? So Shay gets out of bed. He walks to the living room and he kind of looks back in the hallway at me and he says, cats are asleep on the couches. They, they haven't moved. So he goes through just the first floor of our house, looks around. He says, I, I don't see anything. I don't know what it was. And so he laid back down and same thing. We were almost asleep. And this time, even louder, this dragging noise. And I, we sat up again and I said, that's a piece of furniture being moved in our basement. Is there somebody down there? Like at that point, I'm freaked out thinking somebody's in our house. And so he leaves out of the bedroom and tells me to lock the door behind him. And he says, if you hear anything, call 911. And I hear him go from room to room and then downstairs in the basement. And he's doing the same thing down there. And he comes back up within a few minutes and he says, I don't see anything anywhere. I don't know what it was. And at that point, we're so exhausted. We just wanted to sleep because we knew what the next day was going to bring. And so the next day we, I, I, I went out there and stayed with them. And at about 6 PM that evening, Josh transitioned physically from this being to wherever he is now. 
And it was this sense of the next few days were just very surreal. It was right before Christmas. So we had to get through Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And then the day after Christmas was his funeral. And I was staying out there with them a lot and with my parents because it's a drive. And so the day of Josh's funeral, we came back home and uh, Shay had been downstairs in the basement and he came back up and he said, you're not going to believe this. I, I saw what made that noise. And we have our basement set up as his daughter's, his older daughter's bedroom for when she stays with us. And her bedside table that has all her little like collectible tchotchke type things on it had been pulled out from the wall, almost a foot. And this glass sand sculpture that she had sitting on top of it was shattered in the floor. And I said, how did you miss that when we were, you were down there that night? He said, I have no idea. Maybe it was exhaustion and so many other things on my mind. He said, but that table is clearly not where it's supposed to be. And that is shattered all over the floor. And in an instant, I thought, how stupid am I? I asked Josh for a sign. And here, this piece of furniture in our house is moving. Now we realize that. This glass is shattered in the floor. Was that my sign? Was something physically moved that piece of furniture? And it wasn't anybody or anything that we could see in this house at that point. And so we kind of laughed about it. And I said, maybe that was Josh. Maybe he was showing us something. And so we cleaned it up, put it all back together, and the house is quiet for about a week. And now it's New Year's Eve. Rory is asleep in our bed, and Shay and I are just low-key. Neither one of us felt like going out to do anything. Opened a bottle of champagne and turned on a movie, watching in the living room. And all of a sudden, Shay sits up off the couch and yells, what the expletive was that? And I said, I I don't know. What did you see? And he said, there was this ball of light that moved from our dining room into almost into the living room, but then into the hallway between the bedrooms. And so immediately I think of Rory and I jump up and I go in there. I don't see anything. She's sound asleep in the bed and there's nothing. And he comes back and he sits down on the couch and he says, that's not the first time I've seen that lately. And I said, why didn't you tell me? And he said, well, the other night you were asleep. We were in bed and I was almost asleep. And I saw this formation of light kind of over in the corner and it got brighter just into this ball of light. And when I sat up to look at it, it was gone. We got very quiet and he says, do you think it was Josh? And I got angry in a sense because I said, I asked him to show me something. All I want was for him to show me something, to show that we weren't imagining things. And I said, why would you be able to see it? And I couldn't, I wanted so badly just for some sort of communication. And he said, I, I don't know. I, I just, maybe that's not even what it was, but I feel like it's him. 
And so nothing else happened that night. And just a couple of weeks after that, we were getting ready for bed. Rory was almost asleep. And our bedroom kind of goes from a hallway into her bedroom. And I turned out of our our bedroom and was walking to hers. And right before I got to her doorway, this brilliant blue ball of light about the size of a tennis ball with this almost like comet of light behind it comes straight out of her room, meets me at eye level, and then turns and goes through the wall into our dining room and vanished. And I felt him go all through me. It was a sense of, hey, yeah, duh, I'm here. We were right. This is, I, we, yes, this is what we thought it was going to be like. And here I am communicating with you. You asked me for this. And here I am. And it was this ultimate sense of, peace. And I turned around, I ran back into our bedroom and I was like, Shay, I just saw the ball of light. It came out of Rory's room and he sits up in bed and he goes, blue, big ball of light. Right. And I was like, yes, he hadn't told me the first time, um, what, or the second time, what the ball looked like when, when he saw it in the dining room. And so we had both seen the same thing. And I had this ultimate sense of he was here. And he came through and he transitioned to wherever he's supposed to be. And I waited a little bit to tell Meg that I had that experience. And she kind of said the same thing that I had said to Shay originally. Well, why haven't I experienced him? You know, where, where is he? And within a week or so, she and their youngest daughter got their own experience with him too. They were in their kitchen, making dinner. And it was about the time that Josh would have come home from work. And she said she heard her front door open and his voice distinctly yell through the house. Hey, like he did every evening when he was home and she froze and their daughter froze. And they were both just totally wide eyed. And she looks at her daughter and she said, did you hear that? And her daughter just nodded and she said, what did that sound like? And she said, it was daddy yelling, hey. And that was it. Um, no one that I know of, at least, has, has said they've had any other type of um, interactions that they believe with him. But. I fully believe that the conversation that we had that night around that fire set the stage for what was about to take place in our life. And I think at that point, he was already intersecting with some other realm because of the experiences that he was having. His sensitivity was opened. And I think that was our goodbye that night. That was our physical goodbye. And uh, 
I'd kind of lost my passion for paranormal investigating for a while. And this brought a new sense into everything and a reminder of why we've done this over the years to really help people learn how to communicate with spirit and to let people know that, especially now more than ever, they are not alone in these moments of grief that so many of us have had lately. It's okay to feel sad, but it's also okay to open yourself up and to try to communicate because now more than ever, I fully believe that we have that ability to see into the other side and to communicate and just like Josh did to let their loved ones know that they're okay and they're still around. We're never really gone. We have lots more from Annie after this brief sponsor break. I've talked to a few people, uh, mediums, that they they feel like, and I've heard this on more than one occasion, that they feel like that after we leave our physical body, that we stay around for 30 to, to 45 days just to help those around us transition. I and believe I believe that now more than ever. I feel like Josh probably left his physical being probably almost immediately after he was on the ventilator because his his condition deteriorated so rapidly. And they knew that there was no chance of him uh, surviving without the ventilator. There were just too many things that had happened. And I've also talked with other mediums who say, Don't be surprised if you don't have any interactions with your loved ones within that 30 to 40 day period, because they are transitioning to wherever it is that we go after this. But his happened almost immediately. And so I don't know if um, I, I, that's, I guess that's why I feel like he had probably been gone for a while, was already in this transition period. And when they turned the ventilator off that day, it was just a matter of the physical body, what was left dying as well. I mean, I'm I'm sure that's a possibility or it's just like anything else. Some people may adjust to things way quicker than the other. So what, what might take you 30 days to adjust to in the afterlife might take somebody else three, four, five days, just depending on, you know, if you get into the whole reincarnation thing, I mean, this could be somebody's fifth, sixth, seventh trip around to where their transition could be a whole lot easier than somebody who's second or third trip around. I don't, I don't know. It's all speculation at this point. It is, but I, I believe that too, that the lives that we've had before this maybe have tempered us for whatever we're doing right now, whatever experiences that we're having in this moment. And so maybe he had been here. He was very wise for his years. He was very smart and he was very keen and he was very um, open and understanding. He always had that very deep sense of him, even when we were dumb college kids. And so maybe this was his 164th time around the, you know, you just never know, but he did. And I, I feel like in that transition period, he spoke with us and then maybe went on to wherever he was supposed to be because we haven't heard from him again. 
The other thing you touched on that that I've heard so many times over the last six years of doing these interviews, especially uh, from mediums, is how come I have these gifts and I can communicate with so many other people's loved ones, but I struggle to be able to make contact with my loved ones or my friends. And I, I do find that kind of odd, but it it happens a lot. There's got to be a reason for it, I would think, but I'm not sure what that reason is. But I mean, it's I've heard it twice in this past week, somebody who definitely they are in contact with other spirits and they, they see people right and left, but they don't see their loved ones that they really want to see. And it's very frustrating to them. I think in a way it's an emotional shelter because take my experience with Josh as an example. I've been in how many locations that we have experienced crazy paranormal activity. Some of these places are very dark and disturbing. People have died tragic deaths. And it's easy for me to walk in there and to attempt to communicate with whatever is there, right? To set a recorder down and try to talk because it wasn't personal for me. But then you take these personal experiences that are so emotional. I believe there's an element of emotional shelter around those experiences that maybe they happen when they're supposed to happen. I needed him in that period to tell me what he told me. And in turn, it has changed some of the things that I've done recently. As far as paranormal investigating is concerned, things that I may or may not have done in that moment. But I feel like there is a level of of that emotional aspect of it that you kind of have to, you don't turn off, but is tempered to other surroundings that maybe you can't or just aren't meant to experience in that moment. So let's go back to when we uh, had our conversation maybe two months ago or so, when you originally brought this up, because how this took place, you sent me a message. We don't talk on the phone very often. It's usually, you know, text back and forth, you know. I really talk by the, on the phone anymore, Jerry. That's uh true. <laughs> that's true. But that's what made this different. You sent a message and said, hey, do you, do you have time to talk? And oh, you yeah. had, yeah, you had an idea for some upcoming episodes or a second shorter podcast, like a limited series, uh, a limited episode podcast about grief and, and dealing with grief. And it was all spurred by the incidents you had. So the initially it was like, hey, what do you think of this idea? And hey, I want to come on and tell this story. And then, like I said, everything changed. I think it was the day of or the day before we were supposed to record. Walk me through what your initial plans were, if you still plan on doing that, and what made you change your mind initially? My initial plan when I reached out to you and actually some other people that I had spoken with at the time was that. We have been in such a society of grief and misunderstanding and uh, impatience since the beginning of the pandemic. You know, I work in medicine and it has been just a very difficult time for so many people on so many different levels. We've lost more loved ones than 
it, at any point in my physical life here. And I feel like it's more important than ever for people to be able to open up and to talk about those losses, whether it's with a friend, whether it's with a therapist, or maybe some strange podcaster that you don't even know, right? And my intention in that moment was to allow this kind of open space for people to reach out to us if they have had experiences with grief of the the loss of their own loved ones and grief and paranormal experiences after that, a lot like what I had with Josh. And to give people an open forum to talk about those and to air some of those stories that people wanted to share. And in turn, maybe when some people were able to share those stories, other people would come forward and share their stories too. And to make it this cathartic series of episodes, just mostly to remind people that you're not alone in this. You're not alone in your loss. You're not alone in your grief. And you're sure as heck not alone in these paranormal experiences that either you've had or you might be looking for. And so that was my initial reaction. And um, I think the day that I messaged you and said, hey, can we hold off on this? It was just too fresh for me in that moment to be able to share it. You know, that was December that he passed. I think that was like February that I messaged you to begin with. It's just taken a little more mental and emotional processing time. But I feel like now is a good time. And so if anyone has those experiences with grief and loss and uh, paranormal experiences before and after, I want them to feel free to reach out to me. I would love to hear their stories. If they would like to share them in any future episodes of the podcast that we do, I am more than happy to do that. If not, just reach out for an ear to talk to. I know you and Tracy do that all the time. And I think it's so phenomenal just to say, hey, if you need somebody just to vent to or to bounce an idea, we're out here and we're willing to do that. And so that's my thought with it. I still want to move forward with that series on grief and paranormal encounters. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how that came about. And, and this is a question that you don't have to answer, obviously, because it could be tricky. But how is Josh's family doing? Are they are they making a transition? They are. It's um, you know his daughters are both of them are almost teenaged, and so. Uh, it's, it's been a transition for them. Of course, it's been a transition for Meg. Um, but they've dealt with it really beautifully with a lot of grace. And I've said it before my best for she, we've been best friends since we were five and she is the strongest person that I know. And, uh, I love her more and more for it every day. She is just a phenomenal human and, uh, but they're doing very well. Good. Good. And I'm sure it helps, um, that, you know, all three of you were really good friends. So she's kind of got you to kind of lean on knowing that you're both kind of not going through the same thing. Cause obviously that was a husband and father 
uh, of her children, but you both lost somebody that that was a, a great friend in your lives for a very long time. It's a huge chunk of our lives that we lost that day, but I don't think he's ever really going to be gone. He lives on in his memory through his girls and his family and his friends uh, in a strange way. You know, we've reconnected with friends that we hadn't seen since college. Um, It was his funeral was kind of the strangest uh, class reunion ever, but it was an opportunity for a lot of us to get together and to share what's been going on in the past I won't tell you how many years it's been since we graduated college, (laughs) but it's been a beautiful way for a lot of people to really reconnect again. Um, And Josh would have wanted it to be that way. He wouldn't want everybody to be sad and depressed over his, the loss of his physical life. He would say, remember me for what I was. Remember all the fun times that we had together and don't ever take anything, any moment, any person for granted ever. Annie, I can't thank you enough for sharing this moment. I know it's been extremely hard for you to, to tell this story as, you know, as I'm watching the video and I've seen you literally have to wipe tears away several times as you're doing right now. (laughs) Don't tell people that Jerry. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, I'm releasing the video. They're going to see it. Right. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be there. And, you know, I wouldn't share this story um, with anybody else but you and Tracy, because I feel like you are the most genuine people that we know in this field. And, uh, and that, that me sharing my experience with you falls on, on good ears and to your listeners. And I hope it means something to somebody else. Yeah, that really is the key is, is hoping that it makes a difference to somebody and it will, it will. There'll be several people that'll write and say, Hey, this really hit close to home for me because of this or that, or it made me realize that something had happened that I didn't really put two and two together until I, till I heard Annie talking about it. It's, it's just going to be one of those things. And yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's funny because the episode's not even up anymore because it literally was one of the first episodes I did with Ricky and myself when we started this thing and I've taken it down, but we talked about the significance of finding dimes when a a loved one has passed and we get that brought up so many times still to this day. And the episode's not even up for people to listen. I think me and Tracy are going to have to cover it again just because I, I want people to be able to hear those stories. Gary, I find them all the time. I find them all the time. And it seems like anytime that I ask for a sign, here's a crazy example. So I posted a couple of weeks ago that my dog, who was almost 19 years old, transitioned and crossed the rainbow bridge. He had a beautiful life. But I kind of said that evening as I was posting that on Facebook, um, you know, Coop, you know, if, if you get over there, uh, leave me a sign. And I swear to you, I come downstairs next morning and there's a dime laying right in the middle of the floor. It happened when my grandfather passed. It's happened when other friends have had loved ones who passed. There's a definite significance in that. And I have experienced it for years. It's, a, it's funny because the, the saying is always pennies from heaven. Yeah. But in reality, it's more dimes that people find than anything else. Maybe it's because of inflation. I don't know. If y'all really love me, you drop hundred dollar bills somewhere. 
Well, I dropped one. It was in the hallway. You just missed it. <laughs> don't know what the significance behind dimes is. I've actually looked that up before. Um, no. And there's even a spiritual significance to the, the old mercury dimes. Remember mm-hmm. the old mercury dimes? If you look into that, there's a spiritual uh, significance with mercury dimes. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. And it's it's like I said, if those of you who out there are listening that haven't heard the story, you know, it's basically if you if you have someone that's recently passed and you're looking for a sign, look for dimes, because a lot of times you'll find dimes in the oddest places. And, you know, I've had people tell me they've got a, a jar full of dimes that they just every time they find one, they put it in there and it's just you know, a sign from their father or a sign from their brother or, or whatever the case is. And there's been more times than I could even count when come somebody just tell me the most random thing. We, where was we? Um, my sister-in-law, um, of course, she lives in the house that her father passed away in. And uh, she was telling us that she walked in and it was on, um, where was it? It was somewhere on the toilet seat or something. But it was it was in the bathroom somewhere around the toilet. I can't remember. But she said it's not a place anybody would put change. It's just a dime sitting there. She said she finds them all the time. I have a, a small jar upstairs that every time I find one that I feel like is of significance like that, I just I drop it in my jar. Just keep it. Got a jar full of them. So I I don't know what it is, but they love dimes. So if you're out there listening and you uh, got a loved one that's recently passed and you start finding dimes and now that you've heard it it might be a little more if you start finding dimes a lot of places that's typically them trying to reach out and at least let you know that they're okay yeah absolutely so look for those signs i always tell people the signs are around us you just have to be open enough to look for them don't hesitate to talk to your loved ones who have passed and to ask questions um I think you'll be surprised by what you find when you open up your mind to it, really. Yeah, I agree. Annie, thanks for coming on, babe. It's been a pleasure. I'm going to see you in about three weeks. Tell everybody how they can listen to your podcast. We are Serial Spirits Podcast. You can find us on all the major outlets, Apple, iTunes, uh, iHeartMedia, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you subscribe to your podcast. If you want to find us on uh, social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Serial Spirits, and then I am at Annie underscore Weebs on Instagram as well. Awesome. So, uh, like I said, it's going to be a blast seeing you guys. I'm taking it that Rory will not be coming to the event. You know, she probably won't. I would love for her to make an appearance so you guys could meet her, especially Tracy. I listened to your episode today. Um, and she was talking about it. She's right. We haven't seen each other since I was pregnant. Mothman uh, 2019. It seems like forever ago, but yeah, she's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, man. And, and I, like I said, when we talked the other night, I, the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, that probably, but we talked so much and done so many different Zooms. It just seems like that it's we been there. Each but. Other, but to actually see each other physically. Yeah. So it's going to be a blast. We can't wait to see you guys. Awesome. Well, I'll see you then. Thank you so much. Tell uh, Shay I said hi. Of course. Anytime.